This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 259, which is airing in mid to late July of 2022. We are recording from my office in Pennsylvania, and I have the lovely Sarah Hart Unger with me, sitting on a chair right beside me. I did not make her sit in the floor of my closet, which is where I normally record. She gets a little bit more civilized treatment with that, but welcome to Pennsylvania, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, we... Uh, I brought Genevieve on her own to see my parents. My parents' house is about 15 minutes from Laura's house, which is actually kind of a funny coincidence. And um, we've been calling it the Selfadelphia trip because of a mispronunciation that Genevieve made that I just think is perfectly appropriate for her own solo mommy and me trip. Yes, exactly. So here we are. Um, we are going to do an Ask Me Anything episode. I had people post questions on Instagram. So we got a whole bunch. We chose some of them. Ask me anything doesn't mean we can choose everything that people post, uh, but we can certainly take some of them. So we're going to just go ahead and dive right in and see how it goes. So the first question is, well, you can answer it too, Sarah, but uh, 
How long is your driveway? I'll go first. The length of our cars plus a little bit. We do have space for three cars, which feels like a massive luxury to me. So that's cool. But yeah, not long. (laughs) (laughs) The reason this is being asked, by the way, is because I posted this on Instagram right after another story, which was a picture of my husband having jerry-rigged our minivan to carry a bunch of garbage cans and recycling cans down to the street. He had one on top of the minivan. He had two in the trunk, which seemed to indicate that there was enough distance being covered that this was, was worthwhile. And it's, it's true. We have a fairly long driveway because um, we're just set back a ways from, from the house. There's a house that's closer to the street than us. So there were in the back. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a, I would say, I don't know, 50, 80 yards, something like that. So carrying, you know, five trash cans down there can be a bit of a bit of something. So that's like, that would be a good job for a teenager. Yes. Well, if they weren't at camp or out with friends, they'd be doing it. I mean, we had this idea. Yeah. That we, uh, so we didn't pay the supplement that the trash truck can come up your driveway um, and pick your stuff up by your side door. Cause we're like, well, we have teenagers, they can take the trash out. But then it seems like, I don't know, they do help. They do help if they're here, but they're not always here. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's how long that is. But um, Sarah, how do you get back into a habit of getting up early when your toddler often still wakes up at night? Okay, this is a question with like multiple layers. I guess I would say my toddlers didn't wake up at night very much, but I think that did take some sleep training and it did take weaning. So I don't know if that's a factor with this person, but if you are looking to get that longer night of sleep, that's something to possibly consider. Although that is a whole episode in and of itself. And we have had experts come speak about that in the past. So I won't get too deep into that. But I guess I will say if you are not getting enough sleep or you are not getting quality sleep, it does not make sense to like take a night that could have been seven hours and chop it into five and a half hours to do anything because the negative side is going to outweigh the benefits. And that's coming from somebody who loves to get up early, but there were phases of my life in which that was not feasible. And those were the phases in which I was feeding babies all night. I was up all night. In fact, I would always sleep like basically until the baby finished that last like morning snooze. And it was just the best ever. And their temporary times. And I definitely was kind of eager to get my kids on a somewhat better schedule so that I could have a more regular sleeping schedule myself and wake up early. The other thing I'll say is what time are you going to bed? Because if you really want that morning time, you know, time is like fungible in a way, not always depending on like some people have babies that like, if they hear a tiny sound in the morning, they're up. And so that can kind of like mix things up a little bit, but to some extent, if you go to bed very early and you have an interrupted night, you might still be able to get eight hours. Let's say if you went to bed at eight, I'm not saying that's realistic necessarily, but if you did want that extra morning time, it's going to come at some kind of a cost. Yeah. I mean, if you have a kid who's waking up overnight, you, you can have some time, but you can't have the time after they go to bed at night and the time in the morning too. Like you're going to have to choose one of them. So if you're staying up late to, I don't know if you have older kids or if you're hanging out with your partner or you're doing work, then you're not going to get the morning time. That's just the reality of it. Um, if you do want it, then you probably are going to have to cut that time shorter in order to get in the habit of getting up early if your toddler is waking up overnight. Or just decide for another phase of life. I mean, we hear all these uh, crazy morning routines. We have to remind ourselves that this is often people who are either, who don't have toddlers, 
or who are not the primary caregiver of said toddler, which is fine, but we should acknowledge that and, and not try to hold ourselves to that standard if we are people with toddlers and are the primary caregiver of, of those toddlers. All right, Sarah, dream trip, couples only, one week, go. Okay, I'm going to answer this honestly and not in some aspirational way, which is sometimes tempting when you get these kinds of questions. I can't find my notes now, but that's okay. I remember. Okay, I had two. Can I have two? You can have two. (laughs) One would be to just go back to Hawaii because that's where we went on our honeymoon. And I would love to go and just do Maui and Kauai. Just would be so relaxing. We could do lots of, like, I would mix the, like, roughing it on hikes and then, like, really, really sumptuous restaurants and spa treatments and I think that's probably would be my number one pick with Iceland being a runner up because I'm just obsessed right now. Yeah, I would say, you know, the key thing being if it's if it's not with kids, I would do one of two things that would be harder to do with kids. One is choose some sort of like sophisticated urban place that involves lots of museums and shows and things like that, that and fancy restaurants that the children are just not going to really want to participate in. So I don't know, some sort of European capital. I don't know, we go to Lisbon or something. We brought them to Amsterdam and they were fine. Amsterdam's very kid-friendly, but uh, some sort of European type capital place. But then the other idea is that, you know, it'd be a place where you could, it took a long time to fly there, which is also something that you probably wouldn't want to inflict on small children and on yourself and on your fellow passengers. So someplace like Hawaii or Fiji, I mean, you know, my husband loves to dive. So that's kind of on the list. Seems a shame to go for only one week, but you know, if that's the rules of this game, I guess we would uh, maybe leave on a Thursday night, get there on a Friday, and then could stay the week and it ends on Sunday or something. Maybe that sort of week and uh, do that. Fiji also sounds lovely. Fiji, yes, uh, or any sort of uh, it looks like truck island. There's there's a bunch of Pacific islands that are known for their diving, and I'm sure have lovely resorts that I could then hang out at the resort while he was diving. Okay, Sarah, what percent of your income does this podcast contribute? Okay. I don't know if that means this or this plus BLP or... I assume... Okay, was this just for me? I thought you are going to answer. I can answer it too. Okay. Sure, yeah. I'm assuming we're just talking best of both worlds. So no before breakfast, no BLP. By the way, BLP is not contributing that much to anything, <laughs> but it's growing. It's growing. So I'm not talking about my family's income, but just my income somewhere between 5% and 10%. So not nothing, not a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it just depends if we're talking best of both worlds or if we're also talking before breakfast. I would say before breakfast is about a third of my personal income is how it winds up coming out. Um, and then this, yeah, contributes a, a small percentage as well. Not huge, but we, we're always looking to grow. So uh, if, you know, people are feeling the need to uh, tell friends to listen, that helps us get more advertising impressions. And if you want to join our Patreon, we'd love to grow that as well. So. Yeah, that's about how that one goes. Well, speaking of podcasts, Sarah, what are three podcasts you would recommend? Okay, I'm going to recommend a couple that have been guests on our podcast and then one other one that maybe in the future could be a guest on our podcast. So one of them is Edit Your Life with Christine Coe. I just love her. I really enjoy her podcast. It used to be a dual podcast, which she did with her co-host Asha Dornfest, but now it's solo. I liked it before and I like it now. So it's really, really good. Yeah. I just enjoy it. Like as one of those podcasts where they're like a little bit ahead of me in my stage of life. So I can kind of listen to hear what's to come. So that's fun. 
I really like the No Stupid Questions podcast. You guys know I've referenced this a few times with Stephen Dubner and Angela Duckworth. And that is one of my favorite running podcasts. And actually, I'm going to go with another podcast that we did a swap with that is also a running podcast. I still really enjoy Another Mother Runner. And I've been running more recently. So I've just been getting into that podcast a little bit more recently. They just did a summer reading episode, which was really, really fun. So yeah, I just picked exclusively people who I either want to channel onto Best of Both Worlds or who have been there already. Yeah, I would say I'd, I'd do the same thing, although everyone should listen to Best Laid Plans. Uh, that's another podcast I would recommend. And it's definitely one of the ones I listen to every week. So um, put a shout out for Best Laid Plans there. I listen to the How to Money podcast with Joel and Matt. So that's one I'd recommend. Listen to um, What Should I Read Next with Ann Bogle and listen to the Happier podcast with Gretchen Rubin and her sister, um, so Elizabeth Kraft. So yeah, those are those are three, which I'm sure many of our listeners are already familiar with all of those because um, those people have all been on our podcast in the past. So, you know, we really do try to network out to the people we listen to. And of course, we're always looking for other people to have on as well. So send your suggestions. We're going to go ahead and pause and take a quick ad break before we get to the rest of this Ask Me Anything. Well, we are back recording an Ask Me Anything episode of Best of Both Worlds from my office here in Pennsylvania, where we have already been interrupted once by a two-year-old who's like, where are you? <laughs> Pounding on the door. Where are you? So yes, that's a, this next question is a wee bit tricky. So this listener has just had eye surgery for a detached retina, which sounds terrible. Wow. How do I keep my family ship afloat from bed rest? Hmm. Really hard. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that it can be you keeping your family ship afloat. And maybe this is a great time for somebody else to be keeping your family ship afloat. If you know your, your partner, if you have one, um, if that, you know, your partner can take some time off from work or scale back for hours that would be outside, you know, that you would be covering if you have another relative or paid caregiver who can step up during this time to do some of the things that you were doing, because I think the problem that happens for a lot of women is because it is very hard to step back from all your responsibilities, the things you do, and you feel like you need to be doing things, you wind up undermining your own recovery. And then it winds up taking a lot longer than it would have. I've definitely seen this with you know, new moms, for instance, are recovering from a particularly challenging birth and they're trying to step back in to do everything and wind up having a much longer road of it because they, they didn't take it easy. So hard as it is and seeing, yes, you know, things may not go completely well uh, without your contribution, but I would say, you know, as much as you can focus on getting yourself better, call in whatever help you need to call in. Because I'm, I'm assuming you're not really even able to like look at stuff. Well, they would have the other eye. They'd have the other eye, but still, let's be hard, I guess. <laughs> like reading yeah. with one eye, like, you know. Yeah, I don't think they'd be able to do things in depth. I mean, I think maybe like some sort of daily or weekly like briefing with whoever's helping you, if it's your partner, if it's a friend, if it's a babysitter to be like, you know, 
ideally you wouldn't even have to do this because everyone else would know all the rhythms of the family. But in reality, if that's not the case to just go through, okay, this is how we, you know, do this. This is how this week is there, but also not holding tight to your specific standards of how you do things. If your partner's like, I'm getting takeout this week. I think the answer can be like, great. (laughs) Not like, but you're not following my meal plan. Yeah. And I would throw out there that maybe for the next week or two, If there are activities that are challenging to get people to, you know, it's not the end of the world. If a seven-year-old doesn't make it to karate, you know, it's going to be okay. You can skip a few things. If people are occasionally late to school, it's also not the end of the world. We would hope that they wouldn't be, but you know, if it happens, it happens. It's often harder if you're the only person doing a morning routine and you're accustomed to having two people. So I think just, you know, give yourself a lot of space for things to not be perfect and say, but the primary focus right now needs to be everyone else moving along with life continuing and you getting better. Um, And that would go for any sort of situation where a parent is uh, recovering from something significant. I like it. All right. So this question is nanny driving kids, their car, your car considerations. What, What does your nanny drive? She drives a Honda Odyssey. She's actually had two of them, two different ones in the time that we've been with her, but that's her choice of car for kids. She is her own car. I think she doesn't, she actually enjoys having kind of a fancier car and then she doesn't want to put mileage on the fancy car. So she likes to have like a, I don't want to say beater, but like a, you know, a, a car that can take some, <laughs> take some beating for my children to drive back and forth to work. And so she chose to buy this. And, you know, it never came like if she had ever said, like, I want you to cover the car. I'm not sure. I think we probably would have been fine with it split or something like that, but um, it never did come up. So she seems happy having both cars. So yeah, that's what she drives. We've always supplied the car seats, of course. Um, And actually her commute is much shorter now um, compared to when we used to live in Miami beach. So she's happy and it's, it's a great car and she's a safe driver. So we did Prior to hiring her, we did a little investigation into her driving record. I don't remember how we did that, some kind of vetting, and it was great. So, you know, we felt confident that that was not going to be an issue. I mean, truthfully, I don't think I'm the best driver. So, um, so a lot of people, if, if your caregiver is driving her own car, a lot of people reimburse for mileage. There is a certain rate that the IRS puts out there as the standard rate that's recently been adjusted, as you might imagine, with gas prices being what they are. Um, But that's seen as the generally acceptable reimbursement per mile rate. Um, And and so, you know, she's driving her own car. You could pay for the gas or the mileage reimbursement. Um, Some people might consider helping with, with car insurance or something like that. Our first nanny that when we were out in the burbs and so a car was a thing, drove her own car. But we've really, once you have like four kids, there's not really, you know, most people don't have their own Honda Odyssey. That's kind of, (laughs) so I hadn't really thought about that, but no, no one we've hired has ever had their own Honda Odyssey. So we have a Toyota Sienna that is kind of the family car. So I have a car, Michael has a car, and then we have the Toyota Sienna, which is the family car. And that is the one that our caregivers can drive, that the kids can be in all the time. They make a mess in it. Uh, It gets a lot of miles on it, but it's a safe vehicle. It is, you know, works for a family. 
So yeah, you could um, definitely, if your caregiver is going to be driving people around, look into their driving record. If you are in the hiring process, you, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think what, what else would, would be the, yeah. I mean, if they're driving your car, they, you might need to add them to your, your car insurance. I think that would be the other thing yes. that's you call your, yes. your auto insurance. Company. Make sure car seats are installed appropriately mm-hmm. if it's their car. And if it's, yeah, their car, the, there's the question of car seats because I don't know if they're going to have the car seats all the time. I guess they have the car seats going back and forth. Maybe they're oh, just no, not using We always their... bought an extra set. Like we supplied the car seats for her van and we just had an extra, we didn't move them. Yeah. We just put them in. But what I'm saying is some, you know, one of the considerations here is if your caregiver is not wanting to have car seats in her car all got the it. time, <laughs> you've got little kids, you might want it. You're going to have to work through that reality of, you know, kind of a pain to get them in and out every day. So perhaps you want to, ponder that if that's really the way you want to go there. But yeah, we have the Toyota Santa and it's got a hundred thousand miles on it. It's uh, worked as a family car. So a lot of people have driven that one now. All right. Three top tips for expecting first time self-employed mother. That's all you. That's all me. Well, so I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. One is that if you tend to continue with your business, you need childcare. And I think a lot of people assume that because they have more flexibility or work from home or anything like that, that they aren't going to need it. And like, oh, well, you know, I'll just take care of the baby and do my work. And and it's just very challenging. I mean, maybe you can like when they're immobile infant um, and sleeping a lot, although they can scream like while you're trying to work or might need to be held, you know, 20 hours a day, like who knows what kind of infant you're going to get. So if you plan to continue, you need some sort of childcare. I'm not saying you need 40 hours a week, but you probably need something. So figure out what that's going to look like for you. I would say don't hold yourself to what a traditional maternity leave might look like. Again, if you want to, like by all means, just understand that if the business is you, completely stepping away from it for say four months is going to be a rather major event in the life of the business. And so you have to be either okay with that, or you could say, well, I won't be completely off for four months, but I could say, you know, after a week or two, do a couple hours of work a week. And then I might scale up to sort of 25% on after the first month or two, and then maybe up to sort of 50% for the next month or two. And there's a lot of flexibility with it, but it won't look like being completely off unless you are okay with that in terms of your long-term sort of business trajectory, which, you know, maybe if you have clients who you've worked with forever and they are totally okay with not calling you for four months, fine. But um, a lot of people don't really have businesses that are structured exactly like that. So you might need to do some work, but you can obviously have some flexibility with it and, you know, don't have to do it full-time for a while. So you said three tips. So I guess the, the childcare, the, you know, v- looking outside the traditional maternity leave, I would say you can take yourself seriously and have other people take you seriously too. And probably you have more sort of confidence this way than I'm saying necessarily I had when I had my first kid back in my twenties and and was writing and things like that. I had not yet published books with necessarily the major 
publishers or done things that I had done. So, you know, it was sort of like, I got the sense from people that it's like, oh, this is just a cute little thing you're doing because you're just a mom or whatever. And I, I kind of resented that a lot. And so I think, well, I take myself seriously. I think you can combine work and ambition. And that's one of the reasons I wound up writing all the things that I did is to sort of put that out there that it's okay to do both and to have ambitions as a first time self-employed mother. I'm going to throw one more in, even though it was unsolicited and I have no personal experience, but I was just thinking about my sister who did this. She's self-employed, was a single mother. And I think thinking ahead of the, I think a lot of times people focus on like the immediate post partum like baby phase like they picture having this little nugget in their life and they forget that like that nugget so quickly becomes not a nugget um and all of a sudden they're walking around and all of a sudden they're like talking and all of a sudden it just goes really really fast and no one phase you're never really going to get a handle on what it means to you know have your child care set up because it's always going to be changing and that is good and bad because it's it's good because honestly if any phase is really distressing you know that another one is going to come along and it's bad because there's always a challenge of adjusting to the next change i remember my sister i was just thinking back as you were speaking she didn't have childcare for like the first year of my niece's life. And it worked because she wasn't yet walking and she could just be in the baby carrier. My sister owns a yarn store, shout out to Warm and Fuzzy in Cary, North Carolina. But then once my niece hit age one, it was just not viable because she was running all over the place and it worked out really well. They found a great daycare, but um, yeah, just like remembering that no stage is permanent. And actually I feel like they all go, especially in retrospect, a lot faster than it seems like they would have. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be very difficult to do any sort of work with a mobile toddler. As, as we attempt to record here with my mobile toddler, like banging and trying to get in the door. And, and if you're actually trying to focus that work, it will drive you crazy. And, you know, people are like, well, I'm bad at time management because I, you know, can't get anything done. It's like, no, it's that you're trying to care for a mobile toddler and do your business. Like this is a solvable problem with childcare. So I'm saying, I guess that is really all three of my, <laughs> my top tips is, is to not assume that you don't need it or even to give yourself some sort of crazy schedule. So you don't need it. Like I'm going to wake up before he wakes up in the morning and then I'm going to use his entire nap and I'm going to work after he goes to bed at night. Like, no, like just give yourself the gift of some sort of regular business hours. Again, it doesn't have to be 40 hours a week, but like okay. eight to two every day would would allow you to probably keep your business going. All right. So Sarah, the best, smartest thing you outsourced in the little kids stage besides childcare. So I'm actually going to, now that I, I've been inspired by the prior questions to say, I'm so glad I found a childcare provider who drives because I'm not sure I would have I'm not sure I thought that hard about it when they were babies. I mean, I guess I must have thought like, we're not going to have time to go pick somebody up or like, what would be the logistics of that? But not everybody's caregiver does, obviously. And yet, as our kids have gotten older, that's what allowed the relationship to be so sustainable because she can drive to school, she can drive to activities. She's another, you know, like that's been so, so important. So even though it's not really another thing to outsource, I think having that as kind of part of our overall package has been just incredibly valuable over the years. Yeah. I mean, I would say like house cleaning is 
you're not going to want to put time into it when you're chasing after little kids. And when you have limited leisure time between work and family responsibilities can be done reasonably affordably. Um, You know, if you have somebody come every week or every two weeks, it will keep the whole thing at a much sort of more sustainable level of mess. It'll still be messy. Like, I mean, literally four hours after our cleaning services here, there's like crap all over the place again, but at least it gets clean every week or so. And the one other thing I would suggest is some sort of meal prep, because one of the real pain points for a lot of families is, you know, you pick the kid up at daycare after work, you're coming home. Um, it's like five thirty, six o'clock, everyone's starving, but you still have to make dinner. And so if you didn't have to make dinner, like there was something that was pretty much ready to go, that would make life a lot easier. So Obviously, if you have some in-house caregiver, a, a nanny um, or after-school sitter or whatever, having that person be able to start dinner or do some prep during nap time or any preschool hours is great if you have that. But if you don't, like you're using daycare, consider having sort of you know pre-made meals that you can buy from various places, or you know there's I mean there's various delivery services that you know even if it's just like two, three nights a week, having that off your plate just makes life easier. And then you can do something the other two nights real quick, like scrambled eggs or a salad, um, your grilled cheese sandwiches. Those are all things that can come together in 10 to 15 minutes. Um, but if you want to eat anything other than scrambled eggs and grilled cheese sandwiches, having some sort of pre-made meal that is either, I don't know, maybe throw it in the crock pot in the morning and it's ready, or it's just something that could heat up in the oven in 20 minutes. And so you just have to have that go and give the kid a snack in the car to, to hold them over or something that can take a pain point and make it a little bit less terrible. Or, you know, I would, I would throw out there that if you are breastfeeding a baby, you could come to an agreement that you are feeding the baby and your partner feeds you. Sounds good to me. Yeah. So that, you know, that's something that I know a lot of families really do want to have more of a 50-50 split. And it's hard when you are the one who is the sole source of nutrition for a young being. And so if you obviously have a male partner, they cannot do that, but they can contribute in the way of feeding you. And so that winds up being a a pretty good split that a lot of couples come to. Oh, that's cute. Yes. That wouldn't have worked for us, but I think it did in the fr- when my husband had his like one week of maternity leave, he did make me dinner. He did make you dinner for us. Nice. That's great. <laughs> All right. How do you motivate yourself or ourselves when goals feel overwhelming or out of reach? I like this one. This definitely happens to me sometimes. I think for me, it's better to like really recognize that you're just not in a place where you're excited about striving for things maybe you were excited about before and to just intentionally take a step back, be like, you know what, this is going to be a month of recovery, a month of lying low, a month of getting the help I need, a month of figuring out what is going on that makes me not want to do things and um, maybe set some really, really, really basic goals. Like I'm going to try to get enough sleep this week. And that's going to be like the goal that is more important than any other thing that could possibly be there because I need to, I need my energy back or something like that. So I guess it's kind of silly to say like my answer is to set new goals, but I think it's, it's more just like recognize that maybe the prior goals or the more lofty goals you set are not appropriate for this time and think about ways that you could just make things easier for a period of time. 
I know this is not maybe true with anyone, but I usually come out of these periods like raring to go for another cycle of wanting to do things um, after they happen. And I also, in a couple of periods of my life have, when I found myself really in that like low place, have sought out help or, you know, different things like addressing maybe hormonal changes that might be impacting your desire to do anything. So sometimes there's something fixable and it's definitely worth, you know, working with a professional or really thinking if there might be something underpinning that lack of desire. Yeah. I would say that, I mean, sometimes, yeah, you need to change your goals, but if you are really truly committed to them, sometimes it helps to just focus on a much smaller period of time that if you are writing a book, you don't have to write 80,000 words tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow you write 400. And if you do that for 200 days, you would have 80,000 words, right? Like, I mean, it just, you have to drill it down into like, just, uh, it's a phrase from running, like run the mile you're in. Right. And I, I very well remember a particularly difficult half marathon I ran once where, you know, miles one through four or whatever, like you run four miles all the time. For whatever reason, five to eight just felt terrible. Like, I don't know if it was hot. It was like hilly. I was tired. I, I, you know, it was just it felt awful. And it was part of the reason I realized later, because once I got to miles like nine, 10, 11, they actually started to feel much better. And I was like, well, because the problem is when I was in mile five, I'm like, I still have eight miles to go. <laughs> I needed to stop thinking like I have eight miles to go. I was just going to run mile five and then I would go run mile six and then I would go run mile seven. And, and so, you know, by the time I was in mile 10, I was like, well, I only have three miles to go. Three miles is not that much. And, you know, I've run three miles thousands of times so I can do that. And, you know, it's just, I think that's how, you know, big goals can feel overwhelming because we're trying to look at all of it instead of looking at the next small piece of it. And one of the best ways to make big goals accomplishable is to break them down into incredibly small pieces. So you never have a chunk that really inspires resistance because it is so small and so doable. And you do that thing and you're like, yay, I did it. And now then maybe tomorrow I'll go do more. And then the next day I'll do it again. And and you always feel okay with it because you're just doing the chunk that you're in. I like that. That's great. Especially you can think of that for physical goals, for writing goals or career goals or anything. Reading Shakespeare goals, right? (laughs) A couple pages a day. It's never, never overwhelming. All right. Our last question is, what's one thing you wish you'd done at the start of a nanny relationship to improve the transition or relationship? Okay. I don't really have anything I wish I had done because as listeners know, I've been incredibly just fortunate with my nanny situation. But I will say one thing I think I did right, which is I hired our nanny before we needed her, meaning I only had one child at the time and I had a full-time, well, we started at one daycare we didn't love, but then I did have an, another option for another full-time daycare that was great. But I just sensed that with an impending second child and I had a long commute to work that I would be better off hiring sooner rather than later. And I think it was so much better for Annabelle at the time to like adjust and get to love and know our nanny for like, it was four or five months prior to Cameron being born. Because if I had been like, okay, you have a new baby brother and also your childcare situation is completely changing. And this new person you don't know is taking care of you. I think it would have been so hard for all of us. And I think what really eased the transition was hiring her before we truly needed her 
keep Annabelle in some like quote unquote school. I mean, I don't know what kind of school she was, what, 16 months old she was going to, but you know, to, to not completely change her routine. And then like adding Cameron was just so much more seamless than if we had had all those moving parts. Like, was that expensive? Yes. To me, that was very, very worthwhile. And I would do it again. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I think we've, we've done pretty well too, but I mean, I just think there's one that I've seen other people have stumbling blocks with is just make sure that you are communicating. And if you're employing someone and they presumably want to make you happy and to solve your problems and whatever else they have been brought in to do. And if you aren't willing to communicate what those problems are or your particular preferences, you're feeling resentful that it's not happening and they're just bewildered because they don't know what you're doing. So, you know, if you have some particular crazy thing, like it drives you crazy if somebody doesn't fold a towel and put it in a certain way on a cupboard or whatever in the bathroom. And so you're always just like mad when you come in and it's like thrown on the side, like you're going to have to, you know, either you can live with it, which I would live with it because it doesn't matter to me, but like, you know, I'm envisioning this person here, you should say something about it right? Because the person doesn't want to be ticking you off and they're in your house. And so, you know, it's, there's things that are different than if you're in an, um, you know, office place. So I would say, you know, try to have some self-knowledge about whatever is your particular foibles, your things, your particular pet peeves, so that you can just share them. And, you know, you can feel sheepish about it, like be like, yeah, haha, this is really funny, but it's, you know, something that if you could do this with the towels, I'd be happy. And the, most likely the person's going to be like, great. I mean, maybe they'll laugh about you at home, <laughs> but uh, you know, if it's between that and having a bad relationship, like speak up and do something. So, so that's just what I'd say that some people have had issues with is not communicating. And so by communicating, you can solve a lot of problems pretty quickly. And make sure you're keeping the lines of communication going both ways and making sure they feel comfortable, you know, voicing any concerns. And I think it is good to do like a purposeful little check-in, you know, a week in, a month in, okay, how are things going? Anything you wish were different? And just to make sure everybody's on the same page, because sometimes, yeah, things will fester if you don't address them early on. Yeah. I mean, maybe they have some particular pet peeve that you're constantly stepping on and probably you would want to know that. I mean, I assume you'd want to know that, right? <laughs> Rather than, than having a, a tense situation. All right. Well, this has been best of both worlds. I guess you know, we should do a love, of the, week. A love of the week. Yes. A love of the week. Okay. okay. My love of the week is solo trips with one kid. I recommend it. It's great. I mean, obviously it's not easy to do all the time, but it is just such an opportunity to like really have let the kid bask in that one-on-one attention. It's super low stress from a parenting perspective. Once your kid gets past four or so. And so far I'm just having a really nice time with Genevieve. So I recommend trying to set that up at some point if you can. Yeah. All right. I'm going to throw out um, chicken salad uh, (laughs) as a love of the week. Uh, Sarah brought me a lovely chicken salad sandwich, but I also got into like this curry chicken salad sandwich that I was eating at the resort. My family went to a couple of weeks ago on our vacation. So chicken salad is like creamy, but it's mayonnaise, right? So there's no dairy in it. Uh, And it's got a little crunch sometimes with the grapes and like the uh, celery. Mm, Sometimes they have, oh, Almonds or yeah. apples or, yeah, mm. it's a, a lot of good stuff and just, you know, with chicken. And so 
You can make a real filling meal out of it. And I hope to do more of that. I intend to come up with a recipe for curry chicken salad and start having that for lunch. But I guess I got to get myself into doing that. All right. Well, now this has been Best of Both Worlds. We've been doing an Ask Me Anything from my office here in Pennsylvania. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.